Well, good morning. Uh, that's right. Uh, I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 uh, for the majority of the sermon. If you want to turn there with me, uh, you can. Uh, it would be best so that you can follow along with me. Sometimes it's hard to keep up. Um, so you can turn there in your Bible. You can watch the screen behind you or you can just awkwardly stare at me, whatever you choose to do. It's fine with me. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And wouldn't it be great that when we open the Word of God, that there would be like this hologram of Jesus that came out and said, this is the Word of God, right? That would be amazing uh, to remind us. I don't know about you, but here's a, a pastor's confession. Are you ready? There are moments when ministers come to this position right here and weeks in their lives when they just don't feel worthy to do what we do. When they come here in this moment because of doubts and fears and brokenness in our lives where we just, we don't even know. I mean, have you ever had that moment yourself? Uh, Maybe you wake up one day and and you're just questioning, you know, you just don't feel God anymore, right? You wake up and you're like, man, I don't feel saved. Uh, And I want to come here and, and kind of this is what's going on in Israel's mind is these feelings that ambush them. And I want to tell you that that feelings are real, okay? Feelings are real, but feelings aren't reality, right? Uh, That's not the total reality of who you are. And what Isaiah, in the midst of the chaos of the Israelites, Isaiah is whispering the Word of God, the reality, the, this is the Word of God, He's whispering it into their ear of who God says they are. Um, So we want to plug into this moment in Isaiah chapter 9 together. And in order to do that, we kind of have to understand a little bit about when Isaiah wrote this letter uh, and what's going on here. Um, See, about 700 years before Jesus came and died on the cross, uh, we are introduced to an Israel who, who's really a lot like we are, right? Uh, an Israel who, when things are going good, they're like, yay, God, yay, look at, look at how good things are. Uh, in fact, eventually when things go so good, they turn their backs. And when their walls and their fences are up, they look at their fences and they look, look at how good our fences look, right? Uh, and when they win a battle, they're like, congratulations us, we just won this battle. And then when things go bad, what happens? They then turn back to God uh, for Him to save them, right? And I would like to think... You know, we are such so much more civilized than that, right? You know, we live in a more modern uh, culture than that. We wouldn't dare be like the Israelites. Uh, did you catch the sarcasm? <laughs> <laughs> and in this moment, the Israelites, are, every time they turn around, you know, we're not talking like a decade or two decades. We're talking like hundreds of years, like 400 years of a period of time in which every time they turn around, you know, they get attacked by an enemy from the north or an enemy from the south, and they're wondering, where's God? Have have the Assyrian gods defeated our God? Have our sins defeated our God? Does God want to deliver us from exile? Does God, can God deliver us from this exile? And in this moment of these questions, 
the prophet Isaiah whispers into the ears of the Israelites the word of God. Um, in case you don't know this, I want to tell you something else about myself. I'm not from around here. Um, you know, I would say something like, I'm not from these parts. Uh, <laughs> I, I originally grew up in a place called Southwest Virginia. Uh, and I'm not talking just Roanoke. Uh, there's more of Virginia past Roanoke. I grew up in a land called Bland County, Virginia. Um, <laughs> bless its heart, it is bland too. <laughs> You may remember it. Some of you may know it. There are two large tunnels on I-77 that if you go, you're going to go down 81, and if you go north just a little bit, you have to travel through two tunnels, right? Anybody know where those tunnels are? Anybody? Yes, I feel good about myself. As a kid, we would go through these tunnels, uh, and we would play a game. Uh, and you may know the game because you've probably played it maybe over a bridge or over the tunnel on the East Coast. What do you do? You, you start to go through the tunnel, and then you... And you hold your breath through the tunnel as long as you can, right? Uh, now, I had, three, I had two brothers. There were three of us boys, and we were always into competitions. And even with this, we were like, who can beat the other one? And you start, and you get like a quarter of the way through this tunnel, and you're like, I can do this. I'm the man. I got this. I'm, I'm going to go all the way through this tunnel. You get about halfway, and you tap on the steering wheel or whatever you got so that you don't have to think about breathing. And about uh, three quarters of the way through, you're like moving your chest in and out so that you fool yourself into thinking that you're breathing, right? <laughs> and then at the end of the tunnel, what do you do? You get that nice big breath of air, right? I have a question. Are we in desperate need of a Savior? The same, the same way that we would be in desperate need after going through a tunnel for a breath of fresh air, are we in desperate need of a Savior? Uh, in fact, I think that when we come to this point in Israel's history, they are in desperate need of a Savior. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and we're just going to do a couple verses at a time. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, uh, a light has dawned. So in order to get a little bit of more context to this, I want to show you some pictures uh, and just some basic maps so that you can know uh, about the region that we're talking about. The first map is going to be just a broad map. You can see the, the bottom portion of that map is northern Africa, right? Uh, and at the very peak of that is a little pink country. Everybody see the little pink country? Oh, no, let's go back. There you go. The little pink country is Egypt. And, and right north of Egypt, this really tiny little country, uh, the people of God, Israel, right? Um, now let's go on into what this would kind of look like in the day that Isaiah writes this letter uh, and, and is actually making these prophecies. Does anyone see something that just really stands out to you? The purple is what 
the Assyrian government was before Isaiah wrote this letter and before they started to take over the known world. The green is afterwards. Anybody notice what country gets taken over? Anybody? That's right. The northern part of Israel is going to end up being taken over. And this land called Galilee that, that Isaiah writes about, and he says, you know, in the gloom of deep darkness, this is the land that he's talking about. Here's what happens to these people all the time, specifically with the Assyrians. They'll come down, the Assyrians in their big bad army, they come down and they come down to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And every time they want to take over Israel, they're aiming for Jerusalem, right? But something happens that the people of Jerusalem are faithful to God and they keep the seed of faith and it ends up God drives those people, the Assyrians, back out. Well, every time they come down to take Jerusalem, where do they have to travel through? Galilee. (laughs) They've got to go through Galilee because Galilee's hemmed in between mountains and the sea. It's a direct route. They have to go down straight through Galilee. So they take Galilee as they go down. And then what happens? What's even worse, the second time, you know, when, when their armies get defeated and they get booted back up north, then they're going to they're gonna punish Galilee again. When Isaiah writes that this is a land of deep darkness, this is not like injustices like, you know, we kind of think of injustices. For us, an injustice is when they, you know, x-ray us at the airport uh, or we get the pat down, uh, you know. For us, when something happens, like someone in our family gets harmed, you know, we can immediately get justice, right? We dial three numbers, 911, and what happens? I mean, if you're close enough, in five minutes, someone's there at your house to help serve justice. Not so in the land of Galilee. This is the worst of the worst places for an Israelite person to live. The only reason you live in Galilee is because you don't have any money to live anywhere else. You're poor. You have to live in Galilee, right? Uh, No one's vacationing to the land of Galilee because you never know when someone's going to come and invade Jerusalem. And Isaiah whispers into this darkness. What does he say? That a great light will be shown in Galilee. You know what the beautiful thing about that is? About 700 years later, where does the majority of Jesus' ministry happen? Not in Jerusalem, not in the, the motherland of Judaism. The majority of His Ministry happens in Galilee. (laughs) A great light is shown to the Israelites. Let's keep reading verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That's verse 2. I'm sorry. We're going to verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of, of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke uh, the bur- that burdens the people, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. And as we listen to this, we, we, we need to... Remember, this isn't just a season of darkness that Galilee is happening. You know, we, we have seasons of darkness in our lives and seasons of doubt. But in, 
in Galilee, this is the history. This is what they know. Um, and in this, this is ground zero for, listen, what he says is to break the yoke that burdens them. <laughs> to break the yoke that burdens them. It's really easy to, to put this into a very simple, like, you know, just their oppressors, right? You know, God's just going to come in and, and he's going he's to come and conquer the known world for the Israelites. In fact, that's what they're hoping for. That's what they're wishing for. They want God to bring in the Messiah uh, for them, but not a Messiah to save them from sin, but a Messiah who saves them from Assyria, right? <laughs> to save them from Egypt, to save them from their enemies, and what, and what Isaiah says is that the burden that, that's going to be broken and the oppressor that's going to be thrown out is the sin that so quickly entangles them. Let's keep reading. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Now here's a verse you probably know. Up to this point you're like, he's just played Bible roulette with us and we don't know where he's coming with this stuff. But this next verse you know. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Are you ready? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness that time, that from time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're finished in Isaiah chapter 9. Flip over to chapter 53 if you want to read with me. Uh, but before we go there, I want you to hear some of the things that he says uh, to the Israelites. We can see some of this. You know, we, we sit on the opposite side of this this prophet, this prophet than they do, right? You know, they're sitting on the side of this prophet where they don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we sit on the side where we know exactly what's going to happen. We know who, who sits on the throne, who, whose reign never ends. They don't understand that. They don't see uh, what he's really talking about. We know that the child that he speaks of is a baby born in a manger in the city of Bethlehem, born into poverty, who, who will never lead great nations, who's the son of a carpenter, right? He's not a prince. He never travels more than a hundred miles away from his house. He doesn't lead armies. He's not the most influential person according to the world. And yet, 2,000 years later, we and millions of people uh, across this planet worship him this morning, right? Because at the name of that child, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And they hear this. And, and you got to kind of 
get the absurdity of what Isaiah is saying to them. They, he says, you're going to roll up and you're putting away all these things that, that you've depended on to protect yourself, right? Israel has this like thing where they turn to their one of their enemies to defeat their other enemy. Uh, specifically, they're doing this to Assyria and Egypt right now. You know, when Assyria's coming down, they'll turn to Egypt. And Egypt was the one who oppressed them uh, in slavery for years. And they'll turn to Egypt so that they can drive Assyria out. And then when Egypt comes up, they'll turn to Assyria to drive Egypt out. And, and here's what God says to them. He's going to rescue them. Not with a great war, not with a great victory, not with conquering the known world, but with a child. What are some of the the aspects of this child that he says? um, That he will be everlasting father. Who in here wants to be a good parent? Anybody want to be a good parent? If you don't want to be a good parent, shame on you, right? Uh, We all want to be good parents, right? So in order to be a good parent, we do good things for our children. You know, we say, hey, you need to eat your meal, right? And if you eat your meal, I will give you some of this delicious ice cream after your meal, right? Um, What happens after day and day and day of doing this with your child? You know, even if you did it five days in a row, you give them uh, uh, ice cream right after the meal. On the sixth day, when you decide not to give them ice cream, what are they going to do? Are they going to be so happy and thankful that you gave them ice cream the previous five days? Are they just going to be glad that you gave them food to eat? What happens? Man, they get mad at you. They're like, we deserve the ice cream. We ate our meal. Give us the ice cream. You can teach your child to be polite and to be kind to people. But lean in, parents. If you don't teach them to follow the everlasting Father, their politeness and their kindness is simply finite. Meaning it ends. See, We are in desperate need of a Savior because even though we want to be good parents, can any parent in this room transform the heart of your child? Man, we're in desperate need of a Savior. What else does he call uh, this son, this child? He calls him the Prince of Peace, right? (laughs) Peace is a good thing. Uh, peace is an interesting thing, specifically for Israel. Uh, they'll have 80 years of peace and things will be going well while they're worshiping God, while they're faithful to God. And then they'll have like 400 years of no peace. Um, and we've seen this too, right? Uh, in case you didn't know this, peace in itself is simply here today, gone tomorrow, right? In my lifetime alone, in my lifetime alone, the United States enemies has been ISIS, uh, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Korea, China. The list goes on and on. Why? Because peace in itself isn't going to last. And you and I are in desperate need of a Savior. See, 
the best one of those names that Isaiah gives this child is he is mighty God. See, there's this interesting dynamic in Christianity. See, if God is, if, if God is infinite, if God is perfect, if God is sinless, the question that, that we have to ask, and he had to ask, I guess, was how can he interact with those who are not infinite, those who are finite, those who are sinful? How can he interact with us is he interjects into the pages of history and comes in flesh himself. See, you and I, we're doing good to to do the will of God, right? (laughs) And Jesus came and he was God. (laughs) He was 100% God and 100% man in order to be the child who saves. I want to read to you the, the, the next part, and I kind of want you just to listen. Um, in fact, I didn't make the slides for this because I don't want you to pay attention to anything else other than what the words of the Bible says in the prophecy that Isaiah says. Um, so let's read chapter 52, starting in verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled to him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his, fo- his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand." Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces." He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, no matter what kind of security system you have in your house, no matter what kind of helicopter parent you want to be, There's not a single one of us in this room who's not one phone call away from our life crumbling before our eyes. I think that we're in desperate need of a Savior. 
See, the beautiful thing about what, what Isaiah writes to the Israelites is really there's one of two reactions that they could have. Uh, he writes all of these things as a warning and, a, and an uplifting encouragement for them to continue to pursue God. And, and they have one of two choices, right? The Israelites can, can choose to be faithful to God and, and turn to God, or they can choose to continue to do life their own way, right? In fact, we see this a lot in the Bible, uh, the, these two different options being weighed out by people. In fact, in Jesus' last days, there were two men who specifically uh, did things that were against what he wanted them to do. You may remember both of them. One is a man named Judas, right? Uh, and Judas was one of the 12 disciples, and Judas betrayed Jesus uh, so that he could uh, get wealth or he just didn't know what he believed in anymore. Uh, it's really interesting what you see he does in the Bible. You know, he goes to kiss Jesus while Jesus is in the garden and he kisses him as a sign for the, for the guards to grab this man. But what's interesting is, is what he typically would have done uh, in this scenario. <clears throat> in this scenario, if you were a disciple of, of Jesus or of anybody, what you would have done is you would have addressed all of the other disciples first before you addressed your master. So if he was going to kiss his master, he would have kissed all the other disciples on the cheek first and then kissed Jesus. And what he does is he walks over in a blatant act and kisses Jesus first and says, I am the same as you and I don't need you anymore. And the second, the second is a man named Peter, right? And what does Peter do? <laughs> Peter, Peter in those last moments denies it three times. You know, he, he was like me, his accent gave him away. Uh, and he said, no, no, I wasn't with that Jesus. Now I'm not a Galilean, I don't know who he is. He does it three times and then he remembers what Jesus said. <laughs> and his is the opposite reaction. And he hears the rooster crow and he, and he gets on his knees and he, he begs for forgiveness. He, he repents and turns back to God, right? See, even for us today, when we hear things like this, being in desperate need of a Savior, we can do one of two things. We can uh, be like Judas and walk away and say, I, I, I don't need you, Jesus. People like this that find themselves on this path, I tell you something about them and about even myself sometimes, is that I, right here, I lie to myself more than anyone else in this world. In this scenario, I say I am like God. I take God and put him on my leash and bring him down to my level and say I am like God and I don't need God and his saving grace anymore <laughs> and walk my own path. Or the opposite is, and the same thing that God wanted from the Israelites in all of the prophecies, the same thing he wants for me and you today is to simply repent. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. Heck, he doesn't even ask us to be good. 
He says the kingdom that he ushers in will be a kingdom of unending justice, of unending righteousness. (laughs) That he will clothe us in his righteousness. Let's pray and then I'll let the band come back up and then I'll finish this last part. God, our Father, um, how humble we are uh, to be here, to, to be people who are called by your grace and your mercy, God. God, people who are in desperate need of a Savior. God, in moments of doubt and moments of, of, of not knowing, God, we pray that you bring us peace and understanding. God, we want to be people who not just on Sundays are in desperate need of you, but God, people every day, every minute, every hour who are desperate to seek you. Not because we're good, but because you're good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, what I'm afraid of is that none of us will be as as broken as Job was broken. And none of us in our lifetime will be as rich as Solomon was, right? And what I'm afraid of is is that when we hear messages like this, that we will simply be on the treadmill of life. (laughs) We have this thing where we are always looking for what's next, right? Even in this time right now, you know, this weekend, Cindy and I have celebrated with students uh, from JMU. We're we're driving straight home right now to go celebrate with students from EMU who are graduating. You know, and and what they're looking for, what they're anticipating, what what they're really wanting in their lives is that next step, right? You know, they want to get to that job. And and we've kind of been through this treadmill ourselves, right? (laughs) It was high school, and then, you know, while we were in high school, to get 16 so we can get a license, and then it was college, and then it was a job, and then it was that right, the right person to marry, and then kids. And I wonder, you know, will we ever get to a point when we realize that those things that we are wanting to look forward to are glittery, and they simply do not bring lasting satisfaction and eternal joy? See, I think Satan's greatest tool is to keep us on the treadmill of life. To look forward to something else so that we're not people who are intimately desiring God. And we're going to give you an opportunity as the church this morning uh, to, to react the way that, that God has laid it in your heart to react. Uh, some of us this morning, and we need to pray with, with our friends or with our family. Some of us this morning, we need to say, hey, this radical lifestyle that Jesus has called me to, I can do it because of his strength, because I intimately want him more than anything else in the world. I want to forgive because he forgave. I, I, you know, and, and revenge is fun sometimes, right? But I want to sit at his feet like he was. And I want to call that person and just say, whatever this is between us, I am so sorry. And I forgive you. (laughs) 
Some of us this morning, maybe you don't understand these words that I've been saying and you're like, man, I don't know who Jesus is. And you want to get involved here and, and to ask questions. I mean, we welcome questions. That's, that's part of what we do here as the church is we come and we build each other up. We want to walk with you as you seek Christ. Others of us who have been in Christianity for years, you know, we were practically born in the church, right? Um, it looks like simply every single day in moments of doubt, when we, when we walk out of here, you know what's funny? It's really funny. Some people will walk out of here and they'll go and they'll drive in their car and you know what they'll say? They'll say, I didn't feel God's presence there this morning. It's a really interesting thing when you've walked in Christianity for so long. I've, I've been, I have said those exact same words walking out of a church building. You know what's interesting? Most of the time when I say that, it's not because of Sunday. It's because of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Amen. It's because I wasn't seeking God daily. So when I got here, I didn't find Him. What is it for you that, that you need to make a step in, in intimately seeking God? We, all, we offer this time for you today. Stand with us as we sing.